Welcome to In the Spotlight with Amy Scrubs, where we feature great artists, entrepreneurs, community leaders, and well, anyone that should have that moment to share their story in the spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight with Amy Scruggs, and we have an incredible guest today. If you love music, then you want to hang in there with us for the rest of this interview because we have the one and only Randall Franks. He has an incredible background that we're going to dive into and find out about, but he is a very well sought after musician. And we get to hear his journey, his story, what he's doing. He's also a pretty famous actor as well, and he's multi-talented with us today. Randall, thank you so much for being here. Amy, it's so good to have you here in my home in the Appalachian Mountains. I'm just glad that you wanted to talk to me today. It's fascinating to get to talk with you. A lot of people want to be artists or musicians, and they we start piano lessons with our kids when they're little, or fiddle lessons, or other instruments, and we say, here you go, and we put them in their hands, and we don't always speak with our kids necessarily about what it's like to really have that be a career. And what you've done is turned your passion for music into a really incredible career that we're going to talk about but let's let's go back to young Randall when you first found out that you loved music when did that start for you well it it was a childhood endeavor just like you mentioned with the violin lesson as I started out uh, very early but it was the early entertainers of bluegrass music who inspired that you may remember the television show the Beverly Hillbillies of course the or the Andy Griffith Show. Well, on the Andy Griffith Show, there were the Dillards who played the Darlings. And then on the uh, Beverly Hillbillies, there were folks like Lester Flatt and Earl Scruggs who appeared on those shows. And they inspired me as a child. And I, I remember telling my mother, I want to do what they do. Yeah. And uh, that's really what inspired me to start out learning to play. Now, I wound up learning uh, or signing up for classical violin. I'll tell you a quick story. My, the violin instructor came in my third grade elementary school room. He played a tune called the Orange Blossom Special. And of course, that's what I wanted to learn and I signed up. He taught me how to play Brahms and Beethoven and Bach and Mozart, but he never taught me how to play the Orange Blossom Special. So I had to go out and find real fiddle players who actually played that, folks like Chubby Wise, who popularized it and uh, learned from them. So eventually I got to learn it, but it was not in those early days. It was a roundabout. Oh, I can relate to that. It was a bait and switch <laughs> is what it was. But I, <laughs> I love started... Dr. Greiser. He was a wonderful teacher and he he started my road in music. So That is, I started in classical as well. I wanted to play country music and next 10 years I spent in classical training on the piano. So I totally relate to that story of you having to find your way back into the music that you really wanted to play. When did that get to transition? Did that go through like high school and right after that you dove in? And I know you've paid your dues. So let's talk about that because a lot of uh, young kids think, well, I'm just going to make it. And we all talk about, you know, the 20 year overnight success, right? So let's walk your journey a little bit of that overnight success that you were able to have, as I say in quotes. <laughs> well, for me, it, it was, uh, you know, we'll say overnight in many ways. I started touring when I was 13 years old. I had my own band. Uh, I put 13. together a bunch of, yes, I put together a bunch of those young musicians who were in Dr. Greiser's various classes at different elementary schools as we were coming up. And we all enjoyed country music. We liked bluegrass. We liked Appalachian style music. So we started getting together every Friday night at our various parents' homes and playing. Well, that's how it started out. Well, before long, we said, 
oh, this sounds pretty good. We should go out and perform. So we started a band uh, called the Peachtree Pickers, and we started playing at flea markets and churches yes. and uh, auctions and anything that would be an opportunity for us to play finally went to bluegrass festivals. And uh, those opportunities of the excuse me, eventually led us to gain the attention of some major grand old Opry stars, like the gentleman you see behind me on the wall, Bill Monroe. Wow. He brought me and my bluegrass band, the Peachtree Pickers, to perform for the grand old Opry. How and old were that, you at that time? Um, well, let's see. I'm going to say we we're, I was about 16 to 17 in that time frame when we got to make that crossover. And uh, well, when we and we also got to do uh, we were discovered by some folks doing a worldwide television series called the Country Kids TV series. And we became regulars on that TV show. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. It wasn't quite overnight, but we grew into it. And as as time went along, uh, I got to stay performing with the Grand Ole Opry as a guest star as the young members of my band all went their different ways in college. And then the doors opened for me in a little later as a country entertainer uh, crossing over into acting. So wow. uh, long, long road to get to where I ultimately wanted to get, because you remember my original goal that I mentioned, as I said, I wanted to do what they did with Flatten Scruggs on the Beverly yes. Hillbillies, the Darlings on uh, the Darlings, uh, the Dillards as the Darlings on the Andy Griffith Show. So it took a few years to get to that goal, but thank, thankfully well, the Lord opened those doors and I did. What was it like for you starting that young and starting in the flea markets? Like you're saying, we, we've all, and any of us who have been out there doing it know that's kind of where we, we cut our teeth a little bit, but to go to the Opry so young, did you understand the magnitude, the reverence, of what that meant at that age, or do you look back now and see it even larger? Yes, I was very blessed to be have a number of mentors around me who were longtime country music performers uh, going all the way back into the 30s and 40s. And the, they had instilled in me an appreciation for the artists, the Opry, as well as the importance of that institution, as well as in our local state, the, the WSB Barn Dance, which was our Opry out of Atlanta back in the 30s, 40s and into the early 50s. Those were the entertainers that I I was blessed to come up under. So um, I knew exactly where I was getting to perform. And it meant a great deal to me uh, to become part of that. And I knew as a kid, you know, there were only a few avenues to become a country music star. Right. You were either going to play uh, the clubs, which obviously our young group could not do, <laughs> or you got to, you got well enough known that you got a hit on country radio and then they accepted you. Well, mm -hmm. neither of those were paths. The last person prior to our group getting into the country stratosphere, as it was back in the eighties was Tanya Tucker, who dear friend over the years, but she was blessed to be one of those that got right. an early hit in the in her teens. And uh, my friend Marty Stewart was another one who came up uh, in the industry and played along with many legends in his teens. Uh, Ricky Skaggs is another one. Yes. So uh, I was so blessed to have those people around me and coming up and we... Um, I knew exactly what the Opry was. And I, I'm still, every time I get to walk on the stage at the Opry, it's a thrill to me because those early stars still emanate from those halls. And I'm just blessed to be among them. The Franks family is known in music. I mean, you aren't the first generation to be in music. You come from a line of musicians, don't you? 
Well, um, musicians, yes. My great grandparents, my great grandfather was a fiddle player. Or, uh, you know, my great uncles and aunts all played. Uh, they weren't what I would call professional. Now, the uh, the most famous Frank in our family is uh, uh, J. L. Frank, who was an early um, promoter of country music. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame, and uh, you know, so the Franks have been around in country music for many years, and uh, he brought along artists like. Gene Autry and Roy, Roy Acuff and Minnie Pearl and Pee Wee King and so many others. And thankfully, many of those stars uh, remembered the Frank name when I came along and uh, took me under their wing and helped me along my way. So. so somewhere along the lines, doing music all these years and living your passion, which is just so incredible. You also had that talent in there for acting and expanding your talents. Let's talk about your acting career a little bit and how you wove that in while still being a, a touring musician. One of my first roles was in a film called Desperate for Love. It was a it was centered around a high school choir. Uh, Christian Slater, Brian Bloom, Veronica Cartwright were some of the stars in the movie, Tammy Lauren. Uh, and everybody pretty much in the movie were uh, in the choir in some way or circulated around it. And I, I got a small role as part of one of the choir members. I remember one of my favorite things, Billy Vera of the Beaters. I don't know if you remember Billy Vera, but he was the choir director. And I got to teach him actually some movements of how to direct a choir. And that stuck in my mind during that time. But we had a lot of fun doing that movie. And that was uh, playing a high school singer was pretty much right in my bailiwick. So it probably nice came pretty concert. naturally to you. <laughs> yeah. So, so then uh, the casting people with that film and a couple of other projects that I were, was involved with in the late eighties um, introduced me to the folks at in the heat of the night. And that came about, I often say it was nothing to do with my talent. It was God's providence opening the doors and allowing me to be placed in, a, in the right position for the key people at that uh, show to say uh we want to create a character for you and uh thankfully they did and i got to stay there for five years on nbc and right. then moved to cbs and then from there moved on to other tv series and movies and uh you know all of that was born out of out of this coming out of the violin and mm -hmm. the opportunities that came in to me through country music and so uh, acting is still a passion and, you know, I've got a new project that I'm working on for myself. It's a short film called the Americans Creed, where I play a character from the American revolution, uh, that will hopefully be available in the film festivals in the coming year. Uh, I've got, uh, my last film that any of your viewers might watch was, uh, the crickets dance, a wonderful film, uh, that they can catch in most streaming services. And I play a character back in the 1800s in that film. So I get to play a variety of things, doctors, lawyers, years, uh, police officers, of course, from in the heat of the night, uh, and uh, so many other characters, which allow me to stretch and uh, find what's in here and uh, mm -hmm. share that with the world. What was some of that stretch for you stepping into acting? What were some of the skills that were where you pushed yourself and said, hey, I'm learning how to adapt to this. This is different than what I do as a musical artist. What was some of that stretching and, and lessons you learned in stepping, especially being on a series uh, for that many years? I'm sure there was routine involved with that, but what, what was different? Well, being on the series is you're there every day and you're working pretty much every day. And I was blessed, you know, initially I had to get over the star, the star awe. 
You know, right. uh, you know, the first time Carol O'Connor walked walked on the set, and I looked over at him and said, "Wow, there's Archie Bunker." You know, because <laughs> I grew up watching uh, Carol O'Connor as right. uh, all in, all in the family uh, on all in the family, and those experiences of the stars that become on our show. Uh, once I got over that awe, you know, I never lost it. Because I thought I always respect it's just like walking on the stage with an artist from the Grand Ole Opry. Those people are icons. They have a wonderful body of work, many of them, and many of them I was blessed to grow up watching. So uh, people like Ken Curtis, uh, who played Festus on Gunsmoke, who became a dear friend of mine and a great fan of my music. He was a talented singer himself uh, with the Sons of the Pioneers. But folks like that who became longtime friends the process of learning from them, because that's what it was. For me, right. working it uh, on that show, a day-to-day -day show, six days a week, it, I call it my time at the MGM University of Atlanta, mm -hmm. because that's, we filmed outside Atlanta, about 30 miles in a little town called Covington, Georgia. And so every day I got to learn from some of the greatest actors who ever walked on a set. I got to learn from the greatest directors of television history that came to do our shows. I also got to learn from screenwriters who were amazing in what they did, as well as the lighting technicians and the, the other people, the other crew who worked in various aspects of what we did. So I, I look at that five years pretty much as I was in a, a very intensive university study about all aspects of the film industry. And thankfully, I still carry a lot of those uh, learned lessons with me. And I apply those when I'm directing films or producing right. or, or working with other uh, great artists, uh, you know, I'm able to impart a little something that may have been shared with me along the way to a young actor or a young mm -hmm. director who uh, I just, I share a story about something and they go, hmm, I hadn't thought of that. Right. And so it takes them in a different direction that maybe makes uh, the project a little better. Well, what I love is that you are continually adding tools into your toolbox because not everyone is always aware when they're putting tools in. You're just going and doing and taking on new experiences, but it seems that you really had an awareness going, wow, this is something new. I might need that later. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this away in this memory bank or I'm going to file this here because that's going to be a great resource for something upcoming or maybe to encourage or empower somebody else you're meeting. And it seems that you've really done a great job at taking all of these experiences in music and acting and really seeing it as a big toolbox that you have now in life. And I, you and I have spoken before, I know you have a huge heart for giving back and especially to the youth. And I would love to talk about your outreach and how you're using these tools and talk about the programs that you have and what you're doing. One of the greatest opportunities for me was to see my parents' investment and the young people who were among my Peachtree Pickers. We had a lot of great musicians, many who went on to play music with other other acts and continue to play to this day. Others, you know, like many high school and elementary school musicians, it, it was a pastime at the time and it, they moved on. Uh, but seeing them invest in those young people was something that I wanted to carry on in my career mm -hmm. as an adult, is I wanted to see other young people come up in traditional Appalachian music. Um, in fact, one of the last things that my late mother, you know, my mom and dad managed my career throughout uh, wow. you know, those early days. Uh, uh, mother was still my business manager when she passed away some years ago. And one of the last things that she, I think, um, had in mind, she said, why don't you start a scholarship for young people? 
and create a an opportunity for you to invest in some mm-hmm. young people who are wanting to continue the music that you love. And uh, so I did. In fact, we uh, the we utilized her homegoing service as a fundraiser for the scholarship. And we had all kinds of entertainers uh, come and participate and raised a lot of money and kicked off the scholarship fund that to this day gives the Pearl and Floyd Frank Scholarship. Uh, we've had helped, I think, about 35 youth to this day. Um, and it's more than just giving them a college scholarship. We often mentor youth that we find coming up, elementary, high school, and uh, engage them with uh, other professional entertainers that may be playing the instrument they play or sing. Um, and then I work with uh, many trying to improve their professional skills hoping that uh, those lessons may be something that will help them should they decide to become professional entertainers at some point in the future in their in their pr- progression as a musician or a singer that's incredible how are you how are you kind of vetting i'm sure you're getting a lot of kids reaching out and saying hey we we want to have this scholarship we want to be a part of this program what do you what are you looking for what are some of the requirements that they're bringing into you so that you can help them expand Well, obviously, initially, skills on whichever instrument or vocally that they're pursuing, we want to see that there's a there's actually some intense effort on their part that they want to do this. They want to be a performer. Uh, Then beyond that, it's uh, the school aspects. We want to see that they've been academically committed, that they've uh, had some positive momentum. They've participated in their local communities by volunteering in other organizations and showing that they care about the people around them. Uh, And then we have a solid group of uh, a mixture of uh, teachers as well as uh, community members that review anyone that applies for the scholarship. And uh, once they sort of go through their vetting, then uh, we let them know that uh, we've chosen them to be a scholar uh, for a future scholarship, or we're giving them the current scholarship if they're going off to college. And that process goes through our Share America Foundation, which is a 501c3, and folks can support that if they'd like. They can go to shareamericafoundation.org and learn more about it. There's lots of gifts that they can find there if they just want to donate and get something. Here, some of our young people are in some of those projects. One of the most interesting ones is this project right here, Amy. We did this in 2019. It's called Americana Youth of Southern Appalachia. And we had over 30 young people participate in this project. Wow. It went went number one on the global Americana charts uh, in one month from uh, from being debuted. And then uh, every young person who had a cut on this project wound up with a chart song. So that is just fantastic. What an incredible, tangible thing for them to see how this works. And and you invested in their lives and then they got that kind of an outcome and something that they have forever to share. And what a powerful memory that you have to share to say, to see all your years of work and to be giving back that way. I I bet the reward is just that you can't put words to it. Well, it continues to, I I see each and every day of every year, it's, it's watching some of these young people that I've been working with for, you know, five, six years, some longer, and seeing them reach the point where they're spreading their own wings, they're, they're getting those gigs and they're going out and they're doing playing shows, opening for other country acts, opening, uh, or, or simply playing their own gigs um, in a particular venue 
that's very gratifying to yes. see that they've reached that point and they're continuing to grow. And um, I, I was blessed. We just celebrated our 77th anniversary of the Hollywood Hillbilly Jamboree, which is a show wow. that was started in 1945. I'm privileged to be the purveyor of that show and have been since uh, the early 1990s, uh, taking over from Doc Rambling Tommy Scott. You might notice this red hat over my shoulder here. <laughs> That's Doc Scott's hat that he used to uh, wear wow. on the show on the, on the real old time medicine show that he carried. And part of that was the Hollywood Hillbilly Jamboree. Uh, originally started in 1890 with his show, but this aspect of it, he started in 1945. And uh, But many of the young people in our Share America Foundation that we've mentored recently, they performed on our 77th anniversary show, playing as musicians and, of course, feature entertainers. And uh, it was a wonderful experience having all of them uh, that I've seen expand, you know, just grow both within and with their talents uh, as they've come along in the entry. It's an expansion of your talent. Your talent has now been mentored and passed on to others that you're seeing them expand and you're seeing them grow in their talent and reaching people and sharing music. And it's like your fingerprints are all over the place. And it's just so wonderful because we're supposed to share our talents that way. We're supposed to pass this on. We're supposed to reach back and help others coming up. And I love the fact that you aren't just sitting there in your house saying, yeah, you know, look at all the things I used to do or look what I still do now. And I'm not... I'm not reachable. You are reachable and you're reaching out. And I just think that is just so powerful. And I, I encourage all of our viewers and listeners here to definitely reach out to this foundation and donate and support and find out ways you can help because I, I see firsthand how you really are touching lives. And it's it's just incredible. Well, thank you, Amy. This it's just like uh, I mentioned Bill Monroe. Of course, Bill Monroe brought our young group Grand Ole Opry. But in addition to that, he took me under his wing as a fiddle player and literally spent hours with me teaching me to play various wow. tunes on the on the fiddle. And this is a gentleman who started a blue, uh, the genre of bluegrass music. He was a Grand Ole Opry star uh, and is considered mm -hmm. one, one of our greatest American musicians. Uh, he's in yes. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, Bluegrass Country, Songwriters Hall of Fame. Uh, I, got to, I was blessed to also get to tour with him as part of his Bluegrass Boys. Jim and Jesse and the Virginia Boys of the Grand Ole Opry did similarly to me and, and uh, brought me up in the industry of country music and opened the horizons for me. That's what I hope to do for some of these young people. And, uh, you know, whether it's taking them to get to appear on uh, WSM around the Grand Ole Opry or getting to, to get in a concert with John Snyder or whomever, uh, it's always a blessing to see them blossom. That's incredible. Now, in your spare time as well, besides <laughs> your full acting career and your full music career that is just so rich and all of your giving back, you've also put pen to paper and done some really great writing and written some books. Let's talk about your books for a moment. Certainly. I've got um, a couple of different projects that I've, I've done. One of my favorite, and I'm going to set this fiddle down here a second so I can pick it up. Uh, one of my favorites of the project is the Encouragers book series. And that, in, in a way, reflects some of the things we've been talking about. Uh, within the Encouragers book series, I highlight the, the great people who invested in me. Mm. I saw their encouragement in my life. I'm sharing the story of that encouragement. There were so many of them that uh, I wound up writing three volumes of the book. Wow. And here's the third volume here. And with each book, there's a, 
hundreds of photos from my career. I have recipes of the various entertainers that are featured. Um, and you'll find anybody in these books that impacted me. It could be Roy Rogers, mm -hmm. uh, the great uh, singing cowboy. It could be uh, uh, Jeff Foxworthy, uh, you know, the comedian. Yes. It, it, um, Anybody from Sonny Schroyer, from the Dukes of Hazard to Ken Curtis, as I mentioned, um, just dozens of great actors, entertainers, and everyday folks who made a difference in my life. And these books um, highlight that. The reason I wrote it, though, was not only to put down in history what I saw these people doing in their lives quietly. You know, they weren't all yes. just broadcasting. They were a part of what I did. I wanted people to know what they did for me, but at the same time, I want them to look at this and see their lives as a possibility to be an encourager for somebody else. Yes. Because everyone, every single day has the opportunity, God sends someone into their lives to be an encouragement too. You may not recognize it immediately, but they're there. And each time you pass that opportunity up, the world's a little bit less because of it, because we have so much that we can share with others. It's up to us to make the effort to share it. What was it like for you to put those together? I would imagine there had to have been a few moments where you were maybe getting the tissue and had to put the pen down. I mean, because here you were so intimately involved with so many of these key people that played such an important role in your life. But as you're saying, important roles in many lives. How was it for you to put this together? You hit the nail right on the head, Amy. It was, a, in many respects, it was very melancholy uh, because, unfortunately, a lot of the people that I wrote about are no longer with us. And, mm -hmm. But that was another reason that I felt compelled to write the story because uh, some are lesser known than others. Some are, everyone knows, you know, there's uh, mentions of my friend Dolly Parton in here. There's mentions, of course, of Carol O'Connor. Uh, there's Bill Monroe, the Jim and Jesse's and um, Roy Acuff's and so many yes. others that people know their names, but there are others who are lesser known. And I wanted to make sure that that career or that moment in time was recorded somewhere in history for someone to see and maybe draw a nugget of uh, whether it was a feeling of just, isn't that amazing what they did with their lives? Or uh, possibly it's just that inspiration that if they did this, I can do it too. That's awesome. Where can we find those books? Where can our viewers and our listeners get a hold of those? Easiest place is randallfranks.com slash store. You can go there. If you order there, you can say, I, I want this autograph to me and I'll sign it for you and send it right out. Of course, you can also visit the amazon.com and get it on the Randall Franks page at amazon.com, but order them from me. I'd rather autograph it for you. <laughs> I would like that as well. I will be placing my order immediately. I, I know that you haven't slowed down and nothing is stopping your continual movement forward. You have some upcoming projects. Any kind of teasers you can give us right now besides the incredible um, Civil War uh, film that you're, that you're putting together? Anything else upcoming or that you want us to know? Well, as I mentioned earlier, a couple of things. I want to mention my latest uh, gospel project. It's gospel and comedy. It's called Keep Them Smiling. Folks can also get this at randallfranks.com slash store. Uh, this has a lot of the material that I do when I'm traveling and performing on gospel concerts or in the churches. Uh, um, this particular project has a lot of funny stories on it. Now, I didn't come off very funny today, but... 
you would be amazed at some of the funny things I could say if you really want to find out. <laughs> I, I'm a few years ago, I was included in a project called the, uh, in fact, it's right here, Country Music Humorist and uh, Comedians by Lowell Jones, who's one of our greatest Appalachian historians. And uh, I was pretty uh, gratified to be able to be included in that collection wow. with Jerry Clower and Minnie Pearl and Jeff Foxworthy and so many others that, uh, so yeah, I tell, I tell jokes and uh, share those on my stories. And I've learned from some of the greatest comedians of Appalachia. You can catch our project with Alan Autry, who's our co-star from In the Heat of the Night, Bubba. You can see that on our website. Uh, there's so many different things uh, coming up. I go, my greatest hope is that folks, as we make it available, will find our project, The American's Creed, which is a uh, short film that I'm both directing and starring in. And like I mentioned, that'll begin in the film festival circuit over the next few months. And then it'll be made available on the web for folks to find, along with a documentary highlighting the folks on it, as well as the reason behind doing the project. Because it's, I was very blessed to uh, concentrate on a important part of American history in this mm -hmm. film and share the story uh, of one of the people who uh, back in my family tree was uh, made a big difference in our, in our history. Wow. So. Wow. And that is, that is a must watch. I have to tell our, our viewers and listeners here, I did get a small sneak peek and I have to tell you, you do not want to miss this and, and have your Kleenex handy. You're really going to feel some emotion and you're going to feel connected to this history as, as Randall has such a great way of doing. I, I have to tell you, Randall, this has to be my number one favorite interview of all time. First of all, oh. as a fellow country artist and growing up on country music with a last name Scruggs that shows itself for me. But as an interviewer, as a, as a colleague, as a friend here, this has just been very memorable for me. And I'm so thankful that you gave me the honor of being with me today and sharing your story. And I really encourage everyone, go to the site, go to the store, get these books, share them. If you know someone that would love them, buy a couple copies, he'll autograph them. And it's worth having this and, and getting to hear from a legend like yourself. And I know you probably don't want to hear that all the time, but truly, you really are a legend, the stories that you have, the history, the contribution you've made to the music world and to the acting world has just been first class. And it's an honor to know you. And now the difference you're making in the lives of our young adults is just fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Oh, it's been my privilege, Amy. Uh, before we go, do you want me to fit? I was just going to say, would you play us? Please play for us. That's what we've been waiting for. <laughs> I I make no promises. If you like good fiddle playing, this may not be the time to listen. So I'm going to do a fiddle tune for you. This is one that I used to do for Bill Monroe. Uh, he, he loved to dance on the shows. And this is one he always asked me to play when he wanted to uh, do some dancing. So getting exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> That was a treat. Oh my gosh. You, you all got it here on Amy Scruggs in the spotlight with the one and only Randall Franks. 
You are truly a one of a kind and a gem to us all. Thank you so much, Randall. Thank you, Amy. It's been wonderful. Thank you for listening to In the Spotlight podcast. For more information, you can go to amyscruggsmedia.com and make sure and follow on social media at amyscruggsmedia.com.